Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Women in leadership. Love it. Oops, we've got guests. I better behave, right? <laughs> Put on your good behavior jacket. Put your hat on. If you are visiting us today, you are so welcome. You are so welcome. Now, if you haven't been warned, we're a young community, which means we have children among us, and we welcome, welcome them here. It means that we've got a mother or a dad who can be in this congregation, in this service with us. So if you hear a little chirping in the back or somewhere on the side or running down the aisle, that's okay with us. Just consider it one of the faults of being a young congregation, and we just have so much fun with these kids. So uh, we like the kids in the service. God has given us an amazing talent pool, and you, especially those of you who are new, are beginning to see a little bit of it. You saw it in Mark Jonah, who launched our convocation chapel so well. And then we hear it with Mark sitting off stage every Sunday, every um, Tuesday as we go through worship time, and he helps coordinate all of that work. And it's a lot of time and work that goes into it. We got people deep pool of talent up there helping keep the lights on and the mics on, going at the right time with the right amount of volume. We've got a talent who showed up last week with a work, work belt in Ritchie. I don't know what that was about, but there you go. Uh, you know, oh, yeah, we started with the weakest link of all, and that was the launch of our house of prayer a couple weeks ago with, I don't know who that was, but someone who blew it and got out of the way quickly. Today we have another talent that's, that's resident among us, and that is um, Phil Calloway, who's really well-known around the world, and it's just lovely to have him be our speaker for this um, uh, conference. And then, uh, oh yeah, we had Brian Dirksen also do Jesus' uh, Hope of the Nations, which is so, so cool. And all of you who are studying in worship arts get to study with Brian and Mark every day, I mean almost, and it's cool. God has given us such an amazing pool of talent. Next week, Dr. Carmen Imes, and, um, Imes, a new one on our team, and we're so enjoying having her do Torah and uh, lead us in our Old Testament studies. And then we're going to go on through. We're going to bring in the last of our batting order, just so you know, is also three of our own faculty, and we'll get to that at the end of the semester. But God has given us an amazing talent pool on this campus, and we are so grateful to him for that. We're so grateful to him. And Ray Yo, I see him sitting on the back row. I love the back row. I wish I could sit back there all the time. But, you know, he made it. We're, we're so glad you're here, Ray, our theologian. We have, you know, when Jesus said a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, he didn't say that as a standard for us to maintain. He meant blow that apart and honor those among you who, are, who God has given us with such great talent. Phil, come on up. I want to pray. And then, oh, by the way, um, as you're coming, we do have a big week. Mark has already mentioned it. Don't miss out. We've got distinguished alumni showing up who are really, really well known for different things they've done. George Durant's is Teach Beyond and, and all this kind of stuff. So, and Dr. Lauren Rabuco on Saturday morning is going to be, um, I think, excellent as well. Anyway, don't miss out on all these different things. Um, as they're coming this week. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for our friend and brother, Phil. We thank you for the talent you've given him. Bless him now, as you have so often done with an unbelievable and exceptional measure of your spirit. Fill him, we pray, that he can deliver your message to us and then give us that greatest gift of all, your 
Holy Spirit, alive and working. We welcome him into our souls, into our hearts. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Mark. Mark is more talented than he would have you think, uh, except on the golf course. I had the privilege, well, I had the, uh, I, I was with Mark last week as we golfed, and uh, he, he yells four and shoots nine into the creek and uh, writes down three. Uh, no, he does not. He's a, he's a gifted guy, and we're so thankful for Mark and Elaine, and, uh, I, but I, and for Mark Jonah as well. I, I have to tell you, Mark, he was a slip. You said extinguished alumni. I don't know if you, maybe it's just me and my old age. Uh, now that I'm 42, I may have heard it that way. Uh, they are not extinguished alumni. They are very distinguished. And it reminds me of when Chuck Swindoll was introduced as a suppository preacher. Um, he was an expository preacher, but someone asked him, what did you do? He said, well, I got up and supposited the Word, and that's what he did. Uh, well, here we are. It is Christian Life Week. Wow. And I get to be with you for three whole days, and you had no choice. You are stuck with me. And uh, we are going to talk a little bit about joy, and I hope that's all right with you. Um, uh, some of you are, are already excited about that. You're, you're saying, oh, the case for joy, joy, I like joy. I mean, I, 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 I mean, really, you know, uh, this is me. This is me right here. Uh, whoops, not stories for Pamela Fraser. How do you make this thing go forward? Oh, boy. Is it working already? Hit me. Start me. Start me up before we go. Where, where are we? Back to the, okay. So how are you all doing? Just mingle among yourselves. Just, just talk. Okay. There were about three buttons I could push, and uh, here we go. So do I point it? All right. Some of you are saying joy. I'm excited. That's me. This is me right there. That is me. I have a roommate who looks like this. But no, no, not that. I'm not like that. I am doing well. This is me as a baby, you say. This is me right there. That is you. I keep telling my roommate that God is good all the time. He has a hangnail right now. He's not so sure. He looks like this. That's my roommate. I tell him God won't give him anything you can't handle. That's my life verse. It's all good. That's another of my favorite verses. But my roomie needs joy really bad. I want him to look like, like this. I do. By the time this week is over, can you give him something by intervenous? Do something. Change him from this to this. Can you do that? Well, it is really my prayer as uh, I present my case for joy that each of us would come to know Jesus a little bit better, and that our tanks would be filled with the joy that He alone can offer us. Amen? So that's where we're headed as we go. I uh, grew up in a place called Three Hills, Alberta. don't know if any of you have been there. I suspect you have. We were a very poor family. My father earned $270 a month, which was not enough to buy me new jeans or anything, and he could never take us to Disneyland. But he did take us to the top of the Three Hills, to, to, to the summit, to the peak of the Three Hills. Perhaps you've seen it among the clouds up there. And we would just stand in line for about an hour. And then he would push us down in a wagon. So technically, I have been to Disneyland. That's pretty much what you do there. Some of you arrived a couple of weeks ago. How many? First time in Three Hills? A number of you, yes. Way to go. Welcome. 
You were excited. You got here and you thought, wow, the weather here is stunningly wonderful. It is, this is like Hawaii with, with, with no palm trees but lots of wheat fields. This is so cool. And then, boom, last Friday it got cold, didn't it? It froze and you got a little taste of what's to come when winter staggers in here in about six weeks and will not leave you alone until July. Last Friday was chilly. I don't know if you knew this, but David Suzuki and um, Al Gore were in town just briefly for a little meeting, and, and I caught them out here just lighting styrofoam cups on fire to stay warm. That's how cold it was. So cold I did little else but just stand and stare in, uh, through our kitchen window and thinking to myself, if I do this long enough, my wife will let me back into the house. <laughs> she did. It's not true. Ramona loves me. We met at a place called Prairie. We did 152 years ago. And I am so thankful. We have been married as of August 28, 35 years, if you can imagine being that old. Thank you. People want to know my secret. They all, what is your secret? I say, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, my friends. Stay up and fight. Yes, I think that's what it says in the Bible. We have things in common, a lot of things, except for sports. That's the one area where my wife, she just doesn't get it. She tries to act interested when I'm watching baseball. She'll come by and ask what quarter it's in, you know. And, uh, and then they'll flip over and she'll say, has Wayne Gretzky hit a three-pointer yet, you know. Another secret is I hold her hand at the mall. I just do, and that way she can't get her purse open. Yeah, that's something you can try. And we laugh a lot, you know. She says, you want breakfast in bed, sleep in the kitchen. I laugh. That is funny. Go ahead and laugh. Most importantly, I married a girl who loves Jesus more than she loves me, and I am one very, very wealthy boy as a result of that. I'd encourage you to do that, each one of you. Well, three months ago, I was sitting on a, an airplane somewhere about to depart, and my phone rang. It was my lovely bride, and she said, you will not believe what is going on in Three Hills. And, and then, boom, the phone went dead, and we took off. Well, what happened was that three months ago, uh, June 2nd or 1st, you guys, it was, I think, a tornado touched down a few miles out of this away. Some of you are aware of that. It roofed a, uh, roofed a rip off a barn, which was a miracle. It flipped and it crumpled an RV while half the town pointed their phones at the skies and went, whoa, isn't that cool, just before they were taken up. And then there was my neighbor, Tennis Wessels. This is him. He's about eight doors away from us. He and his wife, Cecilia, live on 8th Street down from us. And the twister landed. They had front row seats, but Tennis had a lawn to mow. Their daughter said, Mommy, look! And Cecilia rushed to the window. This massive funnel cloud was ripping through the field right behind them while her husband calmly mowed the lawn. Her first thought was, grab a camera. Of course, don't rescue him. Grab a camera. She put the picture on Facebook. Chances are you have seen it. There it is. She could not believe the response. Everybody almost on the planet was asking, why is he mowing the lawn? He told reporters, I had to get it cut. I had stuff to do. A storm was coming. I had to get it done. Besides, he said famously, I was keeping an eye on it. The tornado looks much closer if you look in the, fire, in the photo, he says, but it was really far away. Well, not really, really far away, but it was far away from us. And some call him crazy, but I like this guy. Now, should you take cover if a tornado is coming? Please do, my friend. But 
the photo reminds me that every single one of us in this room will have a storm come into our lives. Tennis has told me that he's had his share of them. He was leading the pack, climbing Russia's highest peak. It was a lifelong dream of his. He said, I slipped and fell 100 meters downward. They evacuated me just 200 meters short of reaching the summit. Maybe that tornado, that storm prepared me for this one. Then he smiled and told me what CNN didn't report, what all of these other people shut off the tape before he could get to. If your heart and soul belong to God, you're in His hands. You still have to be cautious, but keep your faith. Walk the walk. Trust God. Be faithful. You might say, keep calm and mow on. (laughs) Or as someone said on Twitter, when the going gets tough, the tough get mowing. There you go. Well, most of us love to laugh, but for all of us, the storm comes. It's a promise of Scripture. I went to Bible college. I took a class called Homiletics 101. It was uh, because I didn't know what else to take. I I thought I'd maybe be a a minister. Uh, I delivered one of the most uh, memorable sermons on record at this institution. It was titled, Precious Promises Amid Perilous Predicaments. I could not think of a P word for the amid. Amid. I could have been five le- you know, P words in a row. I had three points, castigating the passivity, con- conquering the pain, and, and, and contacting the prize. Are you impressed? I sure was. My peers were unanimously agreeing that it was worth sacking out to. They slept through the whole thing. Some of them just yawned constantly. Mr. Klein, the teacher, debriefed me later. He was a very kind man, took me uh, to the back of the room, offered me some career advice. He said, whatever you do, don't get into speaking, he said. Really, he said, you're going to want to consider other things, just about anything else. And then he said this, but, he said, when you told stories, we listened to you. That's when we listened Tell stories, he said, maybe around campfires, very far away from people. Get a couple guys. They'll listen to you. I want to tell you a few stories this morning. When I was a kid, I did not know what I wanted to be. I I, I thought maybe I'll be a doctor. I had the handwriting for it, but you needed (laughs) brains for that. And and so one day I told my mom, I said, Mom, I want to grow up and be a comedian. And uh, she said, well, you can't do both. And to those that didn't get that joke, I will be standing here later. People ask me how I got into comedy. I really got into comedy to keep from getting beaten up. I uh, had a big mouth and a tiny body, which is a dreadful combination. Trust me on that. I was so skinny. I swallowed a magnet one time and spent the entire morning stuck to the fridge. I was that skinny. So I was bullied a lot, which is great for a comedy career. I mean, really. You know, you learn to deal quickly with things that come up. You, you, you try to talk people out of things and into things. You do, deal with hecklers very well. Life is funny for a kid. Do you remember your childhood? It's very funny. Grown-ups slip on the ice, and it is so funny. You laugh until you can't breathe. <laughs> and then you die, probably. And they gather around your casket, and they, what took little Philip in the end? Oh, old Bert slipped. The poor kid laughed till he had the heart attack. He was five, so much potential. He's gone. But seriously, I got into comedy to cheer my mother up. My mother dealt with severe depression. They didn't call it that in those days. They just said she was sick. And so at the age of four, I am told, I would go into her room, and I would make her laugh. And then startling things would happen. 
She would stand up. She would stand to her feet. She would go out and make breakfast for me. It was the first paying gig that I ever had. I was a troubled little kid. I had thoughts I probably shouldn't have been thinking at that age. I was five when I began to lie awake at night thinking about eternity because I'd heard about it in church. It scared the daylights out of me. Everything just continually going on and on. How is that possible? It scared me so bad. And then one night, Sunday night, they showed us an end times horror movie called Thief in the Night about the rapture. And I saw what happened when, when God whisked His children home out of all this trouble when, and the rest of us were left behind. I was a basket case. I accepted Jesus into my heart seven times during that movie. <laughs> Until then, I enjoyed making people laugh. But man, I was excited for about a week about this. I really was. Everything was amped up for me. I had been forgiven. Jesus loved me. I wouldn't have to spend seven years with the Antichrist, or three and a half, depending upon your view. I, I was really excited. But I soon discovered other people weren't so much, and that there wasn't a whole lot of room in the church for comedy. Pastors were not interested. Sunday school teachers didn't appreciate it. They don't want a comedian in the class. The kids do, not the teachers. And teachers at school began to pull me aside. One of them said, there's a bus leaving in 10 minutes. Be under it. She didn't appreciate me all that much. Yeah. Another one said, you need to be more responsible, Calloway. And, and he, was, he was right. But I was in third grade. What would I be responsible for? In high school, a teacher said, not everything's funny, Calloway. And he was right. And, you know, frankly, I knew this. I learned it in second grade when Joy King, oh, I loved her so much. I asked her to marry me. And she said her boyfriend would kill me if she did. And so I finally did marry when, when I was 12. It was legal back then. Uh, no, it wasn't. But a girl by the name of Ramona moved in next door to me, and I made it my life Bible verse to love my neighbor as myself. And uh, we dated for uh, five whole years, if you can imagine. I was so nervous around her. I finally got up the nerve. We'd been dating a very long time to kiss her. We were, we were right beside each other, their house, our house, and, and, and we were in my car in, in my daddy's driveway. And I got up the nerve to kiss her. It was the worst kiss in the history of kisses. It was terrible. It was so bad, I knew she would never want to see me again. She wouldn't. And so I just, I got out of the car. I left her in the car. I did. A friend said, where did you kiss her? I said, in the car. He said, what? You, you kissed her car? I said, no, no. But for some reason, she married me. And we got along wonderfully well at the start. But as we were leaving the church that day, no, that, that's that's. A, here, here we are. Where am I? Yeah, there we are. That's Ramona and me and, and those that stood up with us. We got along wonderfully well. We really did. Um, it was great. A month later, someone called from Prairie and asked me if I would come to the art department and be a, a production artist there. My, my spiritual gift was doodling, and so I could draw pictures really well. And they were aware of this, some of them, and they asked me if I would do that. And I did, began to illustrate magazines, and then they asked me, would you take over as art director? Would you art direct the magazines, which I decided I would do. So we were working on three magazines at the time. We had uh, all kinds of stuff. We were doing record albums. You don't even know what those are. Uh, they, they, were, they were huge. And uh, one day, a professor at Prairie called, asked if I would speak to a Bible college class in communications, but talk about what I do. And I said, yes, and regretted it immediately. 
I got home one night, the night beforehand, and I was already so scared. I couldn't sleep the entire night. At 6.30 in the morning, I got this, the lady, the teacher on the phone, and I said, I am sorry, I can't do this. I am sick. There was one thing I knew I would never get up in front of anyone. Well, I was 25. We began having kids. We had three in three years. The anesthetic from the first birth was still working for the third. It was a crazy time. I learned that you need to have a good sense of humor to be happily married, and and you need uh, no sense of smell to have kids. That's what you need. And it was crazy, so I wrote about it. Kids are a wealth of information, and you don't have to pay them royalties. It's fantastic when they're small. In 1988, I was asked to edit Servant Magazine to write a regular column, and I wrote about these sticky-faced kids, how they turned eating into a full-contact sport, and they put jam in the VCR. I don't know if you remember those, the big VCRs, big tape, and you would push it in there and, and watch blurry images on a screen. That was my life back then. I began to write about all kinds of stuff. I began to write about Gary, my friend and I, how we invented recycling in this town. We smoked every cigarette butt we could find. And my mother caught me smoking. She said, son, smoking won't send you to hell. It'll just make you smell like you've been there. And she showed me grace for one of the first times in my life. I talked about my my son Stephen's birth and how that changed my life and started writing these stories. And unbeknownst to me, an editor down in the States got a hold of one of these at a large publishing house down there and, and took the president, Bob Hawkins Jr., out for lunch and began to read him this story. And he later told me I was laughing so hard I couldn't stop and I, I, I couldn't eat my pizza. And I said, see if he would write a book. And so that's what I did. I wrote my first book, Honey, I Dunked the Kids, back in 1993 before any of you were, were a gleam in your parents' eye. It was a hit, surprisingly. I couldn't believe it. No one was more surprised than myself, with the possible exception of my wife. And suddenly, people were calling, and people assumed that if you write, you speak. And there's no way. My leading fear in all the world was public speaking. You know, more people fear public speaking than snakes. That's true, which is really weird. I mean, you, you, you never see someone going through the jungle just yelling, look out, a microphone. You know, no, it doesn't happen. But these people kept calling. Ramona said to me, you know, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. And she said, God used Balaam's donkey to talk. Maybe he could use you. And so I did. And letters started to come. Most of them were very, very kind. Some weren't. I don't know if you've met cranky Christians. Some of you may. I didn't know there were that many of them. I began to think that joyful Christian was an oxymoron like devout atheist or civil war or, you know, those kind of things. Tight slacks. Oh, yeah. But the more I wrote, the more I began to hear from cranky Christians, some who told me there's no record of Jesus laughing. Why ever would you do that? You need to stop. And I was discouraged. And a letter came one day that changed everything. It was a family that had written me. It was the mother saying, our family of four came to Jesus reading your book. And I thought, wow. I showed it to my wife. She said, Balaam's donkey. She said, it's always a good word in our house. Life was busy. Life was good. They were putting me on airplanes, flying me around the country to be on TV shows. Scared out of my mind, I did it. And still God's grace somehow used it. It was smooth sailing. A friend had cancer, but hey, pain was something that invaded other people's lives, not mine. 
I was over here in one of the buildings writing a marriage article for a magazine in the States. I'd just written out the line, my visa card is missing, but the thief is spending less than my wife, so we haven't reported it. And I thought that was funny. The phone rang. It was not funny at all. It was my wife on the line. She said, honey, help me. I don't know what day it is. I don't know where I am. And the phone went dead. I took off running. It took me about five minutes to get through our front door. I came, I came in the front door, and our kids were making their own breakfast in a stainless steel bowl on the, on the floor. And, and Stephen, our eldest, looked up at me. He said, Daddy, is Mama going to die? I didn't know what he meant. I went into the living room, and there she was, stretched out unconscious on the floor, lying in a pool of blood, a large gash in her leg. And she just had the first seizure of her life and the first of many, many hundreds to come. So I want to make sure as I start building my case for joy that this isn't all about, you know, oh, we're just happy all the time. We just laugh. Some of you are dealing with difficult stuff. Where is God in the midst of it? During another long ambulance ride to a nearby city, I looked down at the only girl I'd ever fallen for, and I knew my world had changed. Yesterday, Ramona was so full of life. Today, she was close to death. Her lips blue, her pretty face a pale shade of gray. I held her hand, stared out the window, tears racing down my face. God, I prayed, if you're there, do something. But God didn't seem to hear. The next few months brought an endless procession of doctors and specialists and hospital rooms and the frustration of living each waking moment with a sword over our heads, wondering, when is the next seizure? Grandma seizures take hold of a person, throw them to the floor, often causing a concussion, always a blackout and violent muscle contractions. And they began to worsen. By August, Ramona was down to 90 pounds, unable to eat, having seizures every 20 minutes. Long days, sleepless nights drained the joy and the laughter from our homes. They caused our home, they caused me to, to welcome a very unwelcome guest. Bitterness. It nurtured was, it was nurtured by worry and by fear, and it began to haunt me like a West Coast rain that won't lift. Our wedding verse was this, Psalm 34, 3, Come, let us magnify the Lord, let us exalt His name together. But that dream was gone. A dozen doctors couldn't help. My wife was in the next worst thing to a coma. How could God possibly redeem this? To complicate things, we were dating when she told me that she was at risk for Huntington's disease, had a 50-50 chance of getting this deadly neurological disorder that causes mental and physical deterioration. And one of the signs is seizures, and we knew she had it. Three of her siblings would eventually get it. But when you're a kid of 18, you know, and she tells you this, nothing can touch you. You're invincible. And I said to her on the phone, I said, I, I want to marry you. And three years later, I did, promised to be her sweetheart no matter what came our way. But one of the symptoms of Huntington's is seizures, and, and since we knew she had it, knew that these involuntary tremors would begin, the abnormal eye movements would start, knew that it was a slow death that would take 25 years, it was on the way. Our kids were at risk. One March day, we read of how the gene had been discovered with a simple blood test we could know our future. And so... We did. We got that blood test taken in Calgary. We had no idea we would wait 10 months for the results of that. During that 10 months, the seizures worsened. Where do you go? Where do you go when life overwhelms you? I'd like to say the reason we went where we did was because I was super spiritual. The truth is, I was absolutely desperate. 
I knew alcohol wouldn't help. I wouldn't have a job at Prairie very long if I turned to that. And my dad was part Scotch and, ginger ale, and part ginger ale, so I knew that wasn't an option. He, he was in trouble. Each night I opened God's Word, and I read to my wife. It was the one thing that calmed us both and put Ramona to sleep. Ramona, it, 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 the Psalms were her favorite. We read of David's anger, of his despair. We were angry. We'd given up hope. We read how the psalmist returned to God in the end, how he gave God praise, and we knew we needed to do the same. But how do you do that? I would look over at her. I'd read 45 minutes. She was still awake. I'd keep going. I found I could get to Psalm 50 in 62 minutes. I timed it. The whole book took me about four hours, and often we read them through in two or three evenings. Over and over, I read verses that I want you to read to me right now. God's Word. We drank deeply from the Psalms. I don't think I'd be alive today if it weren't for the Psalms. On Thanksgiving Day, she wasn't doing well, and I remember our kids were on the sofa with me. I was reading to them the story of the good shepherd who cares for his sheep, and Ramona came into the room again and stretched out her hand to me, fell to the floor with another seizure. Daddy, is mama going to die? I don't know, but I do know this. No matter what happens, God is with us. Whatever happens, I'm going to be here for you. We're doing all we can to help Mama. I got everybody asleep that night, and I was finally asleep myself, and suddenly there was a little kid standing by the bed. It was one of our children. That was good. <laughs> he tapped me on the shoulder, woke me up to inform me that he could not sleep, and I had to be up in about three hours anyway, so I got up and took him across the hallway, tucked him into bed after spanking him. Of course. No, I didn't spank him. I tucked him into bed. I said, Jeff, I'll tell you what will help you sleep. I want you to think of a bunch of things you're glad about, things you're thankful for. And this little guy looks up at me and says, Daddy, you start. No. I did not want to start, my friends. I didn't know if my wife would be alive when I got back across the hall. I didn't know what was going to happen to my kids. I didn't know about any of these things. And then I thought of a verse my mother had drummed into me. This is what it says. You know it so well. Say it with me. Rejoice some of the time. What? What did you say? Always? Come on. Pray occasionally, right? Pray what? Continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Is that possible? Is it? In January, the phone call came. The waiting was over. The verdict was in. We could come and hear the results of the Huntington's test on February 14th, Valentine's Day. Well, I thought, man, are you kidding me? Is this someone's idea of a joke? And then I realized how fitting it was because this day had always meant so much to us, a time of love. You know, we went down a hallway and we, we sat with a, a doctor in, a, in a, a small office and she opened an envelope like it was the Grammys or something and pulled a sheet from it and said, Nor Ramona, you have the normal gene. I thought, the normal Huntington's gene? The girl I love will be an invalid. My kids will have the same chance. And she said, which means you don't have Huntington's. Whoa. You don't have, we don't have it. We were hugging this doctor. And we left there. We were completely lost in the Foothills Hospital in Calgary. And we didn't care. We could have stayed there for weeks. We didn't mind at all. You know, when I think of those 10 months of waiting, I think of the greatest surprise of our lives. You see, during those 10 months, we began to actively choose joy. 
just little bits of it at first. When we talk to ourselves like David did, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. It's a choice that we make. During those months, choosing joy gave us a deep assurance of God's abiding presence. We began to discover that joy is a little bit like deodorant. You put it on every day. It's a choice you make, or things are going to stink. On an August night, with my wife down to 90 pounds, I cried out to God, angry again, and said, God, what's the deal? What do you want from me? And I knew I needed to do something. I needed to put her on the altar, as it were, and say, God, whatever you want, I'm yours. Whatever you want, I will give you praise. That night, I had a distinct impression that I needed to talk to a doctor I hadn't talked to before. I got him on the phone, Dr. Dan. He said, bring her in. I think I can help. And sure enough, within two weeks, I had my wife back, thanks to an anti-seizure medication. And each day, she woke up beside the most thankful guy on the planet. I am thankful, my friends, for something very strange. I am thankful for the hard times. I'm thankful for the valleys because that's where the water runs and the grass is green, not up on those beautiful rocky mountains like we have here. It's in the valley. Are you in the valley? Some of you are at a point in your life where the joy has been drained away. Would you make a conscious decision that can radically transform your spiritual life? The starting blocks on the road to joy have the word gratitude written on them. Gratitude that may not make sense from where you're sitting right now, but it is an act of the will of learning to give thanks in all circumstances, in even this. Joy grows best in the soil of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the enemy of bitterness, of anger, of envy, of discontent. Gratitude has the power to transform your Christian life. There is no circumstance in which the believer cannot find reasons to be truly grateful. So whatever you face this morning, I want you to think of three biblical reasons you can be grateful. The first is simply that God will never leave you. Soak in that. He loves you that much. He will never leave you. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There are so many more verses about that very thing. Secondly, God will listen to you. In the midst of our struggles, God heard our cry. He didn't change things when I wanted Him to. But we weren't done yet. Years ago, a, a guy went to his priest. He said, I, 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 Father, I have sinned. In fact, I, I don't think I can be forgiven. The priest said, what have you done? He said, I stayed up all night yelling at God. In anger, he said, sometimes I was swearing at God because of what I'm dealing with in my life. The priest smiled. He said, we have a word for that. It's called prayer. Some of you have been crying out to God. You're safe with Him. God will listen to you. Thirdly, God will not waste your pain. Henry Nouwen wrote, A joyful heart is one in which something new is always being born, even when sadness and death are all around. One day in our kitchen, I asked Ramona, Can I tell our story? Do you think I should? And she said, If it could help one person, go ahead. As a result of that, literally millions of people have heard of what God has done in our lives, and He gets the credit. We are privileged to meet hurting and broken people who would never tell us their story had we not told ours. They know that they're safe. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, God comforts us in all our afflictions 
so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Would I have chosen this route? Absolutely not. Yet God has taught us lessons in the valley we never would have learned on the mountaintop. God is not going to waste your pain. Storms come, friends. Will you look to Him? Will you? I love this cartoon. Have you seen that? It hung in my office for a while, and I replaced it with a little piece of paper that hangs there now. It's four words. It says, in everything, give thanks. It's an easy enough thing to do, you know, to tape it to your monitor, but it's not so easy um, when you see how the world is busted. Horrible things happen to good people. Still those words, those words hang there, in everything, give thanks. I turn on the news. I want to smack my forehead and run from the room. And those words are still there. Years ago, in the 153rd episode of Seinfeld, an ancient word was made popular. It's yada. You've heard it. On the show, it's used as a conversation gloss over, sort of like blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. But yada is actually a Hebrew word. It has several meanings, all relating to holding out our hands. It means, among other things, to worship with our hands outstretched. And get this, it's most commonly used to mean holding out our hands to God in thanks. When my wife was on death's doorstep, I clenched my fist so many times. I shook it at the sky. And in time, peace came as I did the opposite. As I stretched out my hands in giving thanks, the psalmist wrote, it is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord, to hold out our hand and take the hand of the only one who can give strength to turn whatever it is you are going through into thanksgiving. In a world of biopsies and catastrophes, angiograms and mammograms, we will remember yada. We will defiantly confess that God is good, that His mercies endure forever. And amid the storms we all face, we will stand at the gratitude window and give thanks. Would you stand to your feet with me? Are you able to give thanks this morning? It's a choice we make. Do that now. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are with us in whatever we're facing, that You give the power and the strength to come through these trials as gold. Thank You that You are producing in us endurance. and You're going to use these obstacles as opportunities, Lord, to bring joy to others. Give us the strength and wisdom to choose joy as we leave from here today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Hey, I'll see you tomorrow.